Hello, hello, welcome to the Game of Loans podcast with me, Sam Norris, aka the Property Investors Broker. Um, today, I just wanted to share with you a recent Instagram live that I did with Gracie over at Gisland Properties. Um, sorry, Gisland Homes. It's not Gisland Properties, it's Gisland Homes. Um, we chatted all about the market, what's going on at the moment, and she had loads of awesome questions for me about all different types of property finance. So I wanted to share this with you straight away because it's all really relevant right now. This episode, of course, is brought to you by Grand Union Finance, the property investor's genuine alternative to the mortgage broker. So go and get in touch with us at Grand Union Finance if you need any help with your mortgages, bridging finance, development finance, and commercial loans. That's enough of me advertising my own company. Let's get on with the podcast. What we are here to do today is to talk about what's going on in the market. All right, you guys know that I love to jump on. I love to bring guests on to share their expertise, share their knowledge, their skills, etc. So I've realized that a lot of people are a bit lost. A lot of people are a bit fearful. A lot of people are anxious. They don't know whether or not they should jump into the market. They may have a couple of properties already. They don't know if they should buy another one. If you're a first time investor, you don't know whether this is a time to go in. So I said, do you know what? There is no better person to invite on than Sam. All right. And I hope everyone that's going to be on this um, live today, I hope you all go and give him a follow. And if you're going to be watching this back, please do follow him. But Sam is literally the broker. Okay. There is nobody like Sam. He, I am not a market. I am not like a numbers lady, a numbers girl, right? But when I go to Sam's page, he is always giving us nuggets. He is always one of the first people to jump on Instagram and basically share his knowledge, share his expertise, basically break down to us what is happening in the market. Today we're sleeping, interest rates are low. We wake up, interest rates have gone up. It's everywhere, right? So I said, you know what? Let's get Sam on and let him share his views about what is going on in the market. Is now actually a good time to buy, etc. etc. So what I want you guys to do before I invite him on is please get your pen, get your paper ready, start asking yourself questions that you wish to ask Sam, okay? Because this is a fantastic opportunity. So I'm gonna invite Sam. Yes. Hello. Hi Sam. Doing? I'm, I'm all good. Well, I'm thank all good. You. How are you? I'm a bit, I'm a, I'm a bit, oh, bit stressed. Bit, oh, yeah, of course, of course. A bit, bit stressed out, but that's the life of a broker in this market, unfortunately. Uh, just, Why are you we've stressed got, we've, got, we, we, we've got a lot of, a lot of our clients are very, very active at the moment. And so whenever that happens, you know, you, you get into that situation. You just want to help as many people as you possibly can. Um, and if you're anything like me, it means that you don't say no to people. You just work longer hours. And that's basically been this year. <laughs> been working some long hours, long hours. I love that for you, Sam, because obviously it means that, that that business is well. I just get everyone give me a thumbs up if you're hearing us okay. There's no, none of us are talking over each other, etc. Because I know that's happened a couple of times. But just let us know that we're good with audio. If we're not, just feel free to tell us. But um, yeah, that's really good for you, Sam. That you're you're um, you're busy, because what does that it say about the current market? There are deals out there. There are deals. Now we, you, you know, you know, because I know we we, we chatted before. We um, we purposefully just really work with investors and developers, and it's really funny, right? I'll get I'll get a, a, an inquiry from a brand new potential customer, potential client, and they'll go. I'm really struggling to find deals. And I say to them, look, I'm just going to be really blunt with you because don't forget, I want you to be massively successful because if you're successful, you'll be a successful Grand Union client. Happy days, like win-win, right? Um, I say, there are deals out there, man. You're just looking in the wrong place. You're looking for maybe the wrong type of thing. You are hoping for better numbers than are currently available in the market. And because my phone, I've had to put my phone on Do Not Disturb because for this, because my phone does not stop ringing from the moment I wake up in the morning to the time I go to sleep at night, because people are calling saying, I even had, and this, this, this always gets me, I had last week, Sam, I need to speak to you or one of the team urgently because I um, won a property auction yesterday. Yesterday? 
what were you doing yesterday? Like, why, number one, why are we having a conversation after you brought it? And number two, why are you waiting all day? You, you just put more pressure on us because we've, we've, we've now got to do it in, you know, 19 working days rather than 20 working days. So it's, it's happening. It's happening. There are, there are deals. They are, there are deals to be had. It's a, it's a, if you, if you look, there are always deals to be had. That's amazing. So the question I want to ask you, and we're just going to jump straight into it because they're hungry. They're hungry for knowledge. It's, In your view, is now you know the time to buy? There is always, there's always a reason not to buy. There's always a reason not to buy. And unfortunately, we don't, we can't go back in time because if we could, then we'd all be going back to like the 80s, wouldn't we? And we'd be buying loads of property. Um, we can't go forward in time and predict what's going to happen. So the, best the only time you can take action is now. Yeah. So, so yes, now is a good yeah. time to buy if you're buying the right thing. We're not, we're not back in the, the pre-credit crunch days where, you know, you could buy a garage and make 100% profit in 20 weeks. It's, 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 we're not in that market. So you've just, you've just got to be more professional in your approach. But now is always, now is always a good yeah. time to buy a good deal. Put that yeah, I love that. So could you tell us a little bit about the market? Because today we go to bed and we see it's 4% it's interest rate. Next week we wake up, it's seven. Like, people just don't know what's going on. So what in, in your, in the background and your business, so, what is yeah, the So, yeah, let's talk about saying? interest rates, right? Because that's, um, I mean, I get, funny enough, because we've got a nice little community, as, as, as you know, sort of people online uh, that we go to similar sort of events and stuff. And whenever I, whenever I go, I was at Peak Performance last week, and I always get people, all right, Sam, you, you, you going to talk about... Uh, uh, interest rates again tomorrow are you you know it's, it's a bit of a joke um, i feel like a broken record sometimes but no. it, it, it's really really important because you know you, you see that on the news oh last week thursday bank of england puts their base rate up to, to 4.5 percent but the reality of it is, it is that 97 percent of people won't know the context or the reasoning behind it all they see is the negativity surrounding it and and, and they don't know the impact that's potentially going to have on them personally now um for anyone that doesn't know the you know obviously we, we, inflation is as high as it's been for a very very long time um and it's not decreasing at the rate that was predicted at the beginning of the year so we i think i can't remember the exact figures so don't um yeah don't get don't get annoyed with me but i think they were predicting that by quarter three we would be um so that's not that long to go they're predicting that inflation will be down below six percent that's not going to happen not in a million years is that going to happen. They're actually predicting that at this point in time right now, we would be below 8%. We're still above 10%. We're just above 10%, but we are still above 10%. So we're way off, 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 uh, off where we want to be. Um, and the higher inflation is, the higher, the worse the cost of living crisis becomes. And the knock-on effect to the, you know, to the, to the man and woman on the street is, is, can be quite, quite bad. So the, the way that the Bank of England and the government have always been able to combat inflation is by raising um, by raising interest rates. Um, that is, you know, we don't necessarily need to go into the mechanism as, as to why that is, but raising the Bank of England's base rate has always been a, 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 the main tool to fight inflation. Um, so I don't believe really that the, you know, going back six to nine months that the Bank of England really had plans to want to raise the base rate to where it is now there are predictions now that we will probably hit five percent at some point this year in terms of so we've still got half a percent or so to go um and really until we start seeing some significant decreases in in the rate of inflation the bank of england will continue to use their main tool to fight it of raising their base rate now the knock-on effect that that has had um in the market is and don't forget, 60% of all properties in the UK, or just shy of 60%, um, are privately owned. So the main impact that it's going to have on the property market is going to be, um, and we're talking privately owned like homeowners, um, is going to be on the home, home ownership market. Little factoid for you that I found out the other day that I thought was really interesting, that um, only 15% of the population owned any property at all in, uh, at the beginning of the First World War. That's not that long ago. So we've gone from 15% of the population owning a property in some way, shape or form. And that would, would have included land and things like that to now around the 60% mark, just over a hundred years later. That's, that's a massive, wow. massive increase in a really short space of time. And that's fueled by the availability of finance, the availability of, of a mortgage. The modern day mortgage, when it came about sort of in 60s, 70s, 80s, 
that's what really then fueled the market going haywire because suddenly a normal working class person could afford to buy their own home. They didn't need to have cash readily available in order to do that. So with rising interest rates, that affects people's affordability in terms of getting a residential mortgage because how residential mortgage lenders work out whether you can afford a mortgage, it's not based on whether you can actually afford it. It's based on various stress tests. So what they will do is they will look at your income, they'll look at your expenditure and they'll work, up, work out a surplus. They will then need to know that that surplus will allow you to pay your monthly payment that, for the mortgage that you want with a bit of added extra, so probably maybe up 1% more, uh, depending on the lender, it, it changes, but probably 1% higher and then still have a little bit of a buffer in your surplus after that. So if you think about it, um, incomes haven't really changed. Expenditure has gone up because the cost of living has gone up. Yeah. Um, and interest rates have gone up. So of those three things that are going to determine whether or not you could afford a mortgage, two have become more negative during the course of 2023, which mm. as a result has led to fewer people being able to afford a mortgage. So or, or the mortgage that they could have afforded, you know, this time last year. So that has led to the market slowing down, less, um, less properties, uh, less buyers. Um, so the supply and demand gone, has changed. And, and as we're seeing now, I mean, look, you, if, you open, if you open Sky News, BBC News, um, I don't know, one of the other news related sort of channels, um, they're all, they're all going to tell you different things. The market's going up, the market's going down, the, more, the market's stagnated. No one actually knows whether it's going up or down or sideways or back to front who knows but yeah. what we, one thing we do know is that not everyone's on the same page now are saying the market is just shooting up it is not booming um and that is as a result of fewer people being able to afford the mortgage that they need effectively so although supply and demand is how we determine whether the market's going to be strong or not the reality of it is, is that the demand is fueled by the availability of money, which is why we had uh, issues during the credit crunch, because there was no money available for people to borrow to buy houses. And that's why the property market had a bit of a collapse at that point. So, yeah, there you go. That, that was that was as, as succinct uh, an economic uh, overview as I can get. <laughs> buzzing Sam my head is buzzing with questions I'm like okay I'll send this I'll send that like I literally I didn't want to be rude by looking down because I thought Grace get a pen and paper but that is so interesting that you said that so a couple of things so if I can ask roughly what is the percentage now in terms of interest rates so I find a property let's say for example somewhere up north because that's where most investors go because it's cheaper it's valued at about 250 I come to you, Mr. Broker Sam, help me. What what kind of interest am I looking at on that it's sort of property and that value? Select. Most of my most of my clients buy in, in a limited company because they're sort of bigger landlords. If it, we there's there's lots of options at sub five percent at the moment. Um, there is, however, and this is this is really really important. When we're talking, obviously, we were just talking about um, how affordability works for residential purposes. Now. The affordability how it works yeah. for buy to let purposes it's like different it's not down to how much you earn it's down to how much the property earns yeah um, and lenders will use something called a rental stress yeah. test calculator which obviously you, you know about and um again it's based on the interest rate so the higher the interest rate the less you can borrow because the the that means that the monthly interest payment gets higher which means that the amount of rent you need is higher in order to allow that and as much as re the rental market is 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 you know on an upward trend i would suggest that a lot of that is down to the fact that mortgage rates have gone up um it's, it's a knock-on effect to that so um what lenders are doing is in reality um and it depends how deep you want to go in terms of swap rates and interbanking loans all that kind of stuff is how much it's costing banks to borrow the money they know that if they lend that money out at the same sort of rate or with the margins that they were enjoying for the last few years whilst um, whilst everything was fantastic 
no one's going to be able to actually take out the loan. So it's pretty, it's, 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 it's pointless. It's really, really pointless. Unless you've got affordable loans, then no one's going to take them out. So then you're not making the margins because what's the point of making 2% or nothing, you know, in terms of your margin. So how lenders are getting around this is that they are pushing their margins to the fees. And so you're getting your sub 5% um, mortgages still, even though the Bank of England base rate is, is at 4.5, we've we applied um, on Friday uh, for a mortgage for a client at 4.79%. So that's a day after the Bank of England base rate's gone up to 4.5. That's that's literally um, you know 0.29% above the Bank of England base rate. It's, it's nothing. There's no margin in that for the for the lender at all. However, they're charging a three percent uh, fee. And we've got lenders that are charging 4% fees, 5% fees. Obviously, these fees are added onto the loan, but then you're still paying interest on them. So you're paying interest on interest effectively. Yeah. But that's, it's how, it's not lenders being greedy. It's lenders trying to find a mechanism to lend the money out because otherwise they, they're not going to be able to lend anything. So are there, are there still some lenders that are quite willing and open to lend? Because what some people are saying, not from my experience, but I'm talking on behalf of some other newbie investors those that maybe have one or two but wish to grow it further what they're saying is that when they knock at the broker's doors the lenders are basically saying i'm sorry you've only got two options and this is it and some of the products that they're getting the interest rates are just not suiting them but are there lenders that are still saying here you go take you know the only lenders that, looking like that don't want to lend are lenders that aren't lending that don't have any and there aren't any mm. you know there was we had obviously when when the uh, the mini budget came out towards the back end of last year with liz truss and um i can't even remember kamikaze quasi <laughs> um he, yeah, I, I just pushed him out of the mind uh, the because of the volatility in the market at the time, lenders couldn't predict where the, where the rates were going to go, the interbanking loans, how much they were going to cost and that kind of stuff. So lots of lenders withdrew from the market. It was not because they didn't want to lend. It was because they didn't know how to. And that's the key difference is when we go back to the days of the credit crunch, it was called the credit crunch because there was a lack of liquidity. There was a lack of money right now the market is as liquid as it probably ever has been in our history. Um, I think there's over a trillion pounds worth of available funding. We've never had that. We've got more lenders than we've ever had. We've got more money than we've ever had. It's just, find, it's just finding the mechanisms wow. to get it out the door. That's the key. Because don't forget as well, is that when lenders, because most lenders in the country, whether it's mortgage lenders, whether it's commercial banks, whether it's bridging lenders, development finance lenders, most of them do not lend their own money. You know, we have a few lenders that do. RBS, Citibank, JP Morgan, the, the, these are the people that fund the rest of the entire market. Maybe not directly, but certainly it filters down. This is why during the credit crunch, the government had to bail out RBS because without them, our lending market would have taken such a massive hit that it, we could have seen uh, you know, ca catastrophic outcome effectively. So the, 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 we weren't bailing them out because we we're like, oh, poor bankers. We we're bailing them out because we knew the impact it would have on the rest of the market. So when lenders are borrowing money to lend out, they're borrowing it and they're having to pay for it. So they don't want that money just sitting in their bank account. They want it out the door as quickly as they possibly can. Right. Now, the underwriter, who is the person at the lender who ultimately gets hold of your application and determines whether or not they're going to lend to you or not, they are just working to a set of rules that means that they are lending responsibly and they're lending within the level of risk that they are willing to take on for the cost of the money that they're giving out. So when a lot of people say, oh, you know, lenders, they're asking me for this, they're asking me for this, they're asking me for this. They're doing it because, A, they're, they're there to actually ensure that they're lending responsibly. So they've either got the FCA or the PRA, the two main governing bodies, depending on the type of loan. They are pressing down on the lenders to say, you have to lend responsibly. We don't want people to be in financial difficulty and there's certain things they need to adhere to. So that's one of the reasons they're doing it. But secondly, they're also just making sure that they, they you know, are at their own sort of level, level of risk as well. So, but they're, they're, they are the gatekeepers. The underwriters are the gatekeepers. The underwriters are not told try and find a way of not lending they're actually told try and find a way to lend you know as long as they hit these boxes sign 
sign off the sign off the yeah. application and 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 give a mortgage offer i love i love that and this is what frustrates me because so many people are like oh do you know what i actually thought people's issue for not investing is they don't have money but when i speak to people you know they come on consultations they're like oh yes i've got 100k or whatever sitting in their account so i'm like why are you sitting on this kind of money what do you do with it oh but i don't Someone said the market is going to crash. Someone said, oh, that, you know, the interest rate is too high. Oh, there's no lend. And I'm just like, but what you're saying, is there are lenders out there basically saying, Absolutely. take our money, take our money. People like us that are so fearful. It's just ridiculous. I don't understand why we're not being married up together. Well, what is, so, what so is that in the I, middle? I, 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 quite like, I, like, I like a sporting it's, analogy. So a good, a, a good analogy that I would use yeah. for this is, somebody says, to score a goal in the Premier League is hard. You've got, you've got, you've got all these defenders yeah. that are world-class in front of you. You've got a goalkeeper that's about eight foot nine in this goal, and it's only this big, and you've got to somehow score that goal. It's like, well, you just figure yeah. out a way of scoring it, didn't you? You, you use tactics and you work. You work, the, you, you play the game to get that ball in the goal. Well, I would like that mortgage, oh, but it's, it's really hard. It's hard to get that mortgage. Well, find out how to do it. Work with the lender. Don't work. They're not the enemy. If a lender asks for something, give it to yeah. them beforehand. Make sure yeah. that you fit within their criteria. Use a broker that can do that for you. And then that's, that's your way yeah. of scoring, scoring the goal. You're, you're scoring the goal by getting your mortgage offer. And it, yes, it might be hard. It might be tricky. There might be work that goes into it, but that's the nature of the game. This is what this is. We're playing a game here, you know. And you've got to learn how to play it. And then, if you learn how to play it, you win. If you don't know how to learn how to play it, there's a good chance you're not going to win the game. So, do you think it's still profitable? Because what we're saying now, once somehow they've mentally got over the fact that oh, interest rates are high, blah blah, and actually now is still a good time to buy. Would you say from your investors that it's still profitable? So by the time they pay off their mortgage, are they getting enough liquid cash into their pockets? Like. Hey guys, we'll get back to the podcast in just a sec. Before we do, can I ask a massive favor? I'd love you to cast your mind back to when you first found the Game of Loans podcast. And if you're loving it, hopefully somebody like you will also enjoy it too. So please share this podcast in the same way that you first came across it. It means that we can grow our audience, get better people on, better guests, and hopefully that will mean a better podcast for you too. If you've also got a couple of seconds to write us a review, I would be eternally grateful. Thanks very much. Let's get back to the show. Because obviously interest up and, and blah, 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 blah. So there's, yeah. there's there's less profit in a standard buy to let now than there was a year ago. Um, you know, but yeah, there's, so there's two, two ways of looking at it is number one, what, what, what are you actually trying to achieve as a property investor? Now, a lot of people will say, well, I want a relatively passive income. I want a long-term investment strategy. Okay, great, cool. Well, if you want a passive income and a long-term investment strategy that's going to work for you in 30 years' time, then why are you worried about how much it's costing you now? Just worry about the fact that you're taking, you're, you're, you're getting these assets at a time when it's not the most, not the easiest in terms of the cash flow, but the cost of acquiring them is coming down in terms of the actual physical asset and, and, and how much deposit you need to put down, et cetera, et cetera. It's a long game. Play the long game. If you want to build a portfolio quicker, you need cash flow. So what do you do? You look at other yeah. strategies. You look at HMO. You look at service accommodation. You look at deal sourcing and, and set up a deal sourcing business. Or you could do something that isn't really in prop in like directly in property. You know, I I my my cash flow business is, is my company, Grand Union Finance. That's what that's what that element of, of, of what I do is. In terms of my wider strategy, I have the same long-term strategy as 80% of the people out there, which is nice, easy portfolio that I don't have to do much with and I just and I just sit on it and that's and then I can retire happy. 
I, that's what I want to do. But I know I have to put the work in now. I can't just go straight to that point. I think a lot, I think the current market is maybe making people think about that a little bit more. You go back 12 months, 24 months, you know, pre-pandemic, we were in a time where you could do buy, refurbish, refinance, BRR, that sort of stuff. You could get money in, money out, or you could get the vast majority of money out. You could keep going, you could keep building that portfolio. Those days don't exist right now. They may well come back. But you've got to pivot, you've got to change, you've got to be agile, and you've got to be thinking about your longer-term strategy. And where does buying a buy-to-let property fit into that strategy? Does buying a buy-to-let property right now help you achieve that strategy? Probably not. Probably not right now. But does converting a house into an HMO that has high cash flow, does that do that? Well, well, Sam, that sounds like hard work. That that's that's you know that's 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 a lot of noise in my ear. I'm going to be you know people are going to be calling me at all hours of, of, of the day. Okay, great, but that's the playoff. You, you're going, you're doing that as a short-term yeah. measure to get cash flow. You're moving that that cash flow to your, um, to your next investment. Your next investment. The more of those properties you get, your ability to buy properties goes up exponentially because your cash flow increases month on month. You do that, you start growing, and then guess what? You get to a point where you're like, Jesus Christ, I just want a bit of time during the day to think about myself, I'm going to convert all these properties back to buy to lets and then a nice portfolio, but you built the portfolio with the cash flow that the high generating cash flow uh, property strategies allow you to do. And then you can convert it later on. And that's what my best clients do, to be honest with you. Oh my God. That is so refreshing, Sam. That really is refreshing to her because I keep going on and sometimes I feel like I'm an, an alien saying it, but I keep going on saying to people, your strategy does not matter. Like as a successful property investor, you need to know when to shift. You need to know when the wind is going like that. You position yourself differently so that you can obviously make sure that the money you're generating works for you. You know, like you said, we had to get out of the mindset of buy to let, buy to let because it was like, hold on a minute, mortgage is going up what we were getting is no longer as much so what did we do hmo all sorts of different things so i absolutely love that a couple of questions before i hand over to people that may have questions hi jack I'm, okay, so I'm, I'm not, even I'm not saying hello to jack, hi, jack. he took the piss out of my shirt last week so so i'm not i'm sorry jack mate you're not getting a hug from me that's my that little cheeky smile there you could have just said yeah. hi sam is that hi <laughs> Um, I was going to ask very quickly before we go into questions is people adopting different strategies. So buy to let HMO BRR, you mentioned that the BRR strategy and probably flip would flip is perhaps maybe not the best strategy. I, right I've always now. been a fan of flips. Um, you know, that's always been what I've done. You know, my dad, uh, it was a snooky jacket. I was wearing a waistcoat, man. There's nothing wrong with a knife. I was trying to look smart. I was trying to look smart. <laughs> I was trying something new. I was trying something new. I say I've always been a fan of flips. My dad's a builder. Um, I, I think that we could go on a massive thing about flips because I think there's also other things to take into consideration. Obviously, the market, the sales market. I think the market, sales market is strong enough in the right type of area to still to still work. Um, the reality of it is, is if you're buying. A crappy property in a relatively affluent area you probably got a decent chance of still being able to sell it you just might need to take a bit of a haircut on where you think that gdv is going to be that sales price is going to be um but i i like flips slash reef bigger refurb development projects as like a middle pillar to what i just said so if you think of it as three pillars where you've got your high high cash flow generating uh, strategies at the beginning generating large amounts of money larger than buy to let that goes into your pot that you then grow quickly through flips development projects etc and then the money and then you keep whatever money you've put into that you keep in that pot and you just keep adding it from from the first pillar so that creates a second pillar and then the third pillar is all the profit that the development slash flips makes you just go and you buy your nice easy buy to lets with Imagine doing that nice three easy pillars. You've got three parts of your business, which means that it becomes a bit more recession proof, yeah. a bit more economic downturn proof, because if one part of it isn't doing so well, the other parts can kind of pick up. Um, and really what it is, it's like you start with this, you move, you keep going with this, but then you move on to this. You've got these two going and then 
you get eventually you get onto that but then when you get onto that last one at some point you're just going to slow this this one down this first pillar to, to practically nothing you might still do a little bit of this to keep generating a bit of money for the put for the for the buy to let portfolio but eventually the other two just go by the wayside and you're just left with that larger portfolio at the end so i still think there's a place in the market for flips massively still think there's still a place in the market for flips um and i think that you've just you've just got to be careful and you've got to, i think you need to make sure that you still have an exit strategy whereby if you needed to refinance it and keep it for a little bit longer happy days i know a lot of my clients what they're doing is they are still doing flips but what they're actually doing is they're buying something yeah. they're renovating it then they're refinancing it onto maybe like a, a variable rate or something with no or low early repayment charges. And they're just keeping it for a couple of years and then flipping it off. So they're just, so they're just, they're still shorter term, you know, flips, but what they're doing is they're maximizing it. So actually by doing it, they're increasing their return on investment because then they can then work in two years worth of, yeah, it might not be a lot because it's still a buy to let, but they're working in two years of cash flow into their overall profit margin and if you do that your overall return on investment is higher although it's over a slightly larger period of time so there's swings and roundabouts to it the whole purpose of a flip is you know quick increase in, in cash but you can yeah. make it work for you as well by doing it that way oh i love that i'm 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 taking mental notes i'm thinking actually you're right we could actually because i like the fact that you can get the monthly cash flow and actually even in two years time by the time you want to sell it or do whatever, it would probably have gone up in value. By yeah, absolutely. I think, I think we're in a really right? weird market at the moment whereby there are certain areas going down, certain areas are staying the same. There aren't too many areas, I don't, I don't think, that are going up in value. But the reality of it is, is yeah. this ain't changing that anytime soon. <laughs> you know, we've got a 12, 18, maybe even 24 month window where the property market is going to be a bit stagnant. It's going to dip in certain areas. It's going to correct in certain areas. I don't think it's going to crash in any areas because we still have that liquidity level enough to keep the market going on, um, which is probably one of the fundamental reasons behind, um, you know, the government allowing Skipton recently to issue their 100% loan to value mortgage because that... Is that a good... I, I don't want no. to get into that, but is that a good idea? No, your, no. no. Thought, it's a stupid good, idea. Is it? the people on the line that are you allowed to it's, i don't want to get you to trust it's not a good idea but i thought like i don't think it's a good idea i know people are like yes we can finally get the property like, like no, that no one has a divine right to own a property no one has a divine right to own a property and yeah. it's just uh, it's we could go down on a massive massive hole here but i i think that there's it's a mentality thing a couple of years ago during the pandemic Boris come out and did a, a speech where he said, I think it might be pre-pandemic, where he said, I want to change Britain from generation rent to generation buy. And in doing so, what he did was he changed the mindset of the British public to, if we don't own a property, we are failures. And that is really, really concerning because if you do not own your own property, you are not a failure. Owning a property should be a lifestyle choice, not something that is that is pushed upon you by society that if you do not own your own home somehow you're a lesser standard human being i really really believe in that and i think i don't I, i'm a I, i'm not a cynical person so i don't think boris was had that in his mind but that's the repercussions of it we were already a society in the uk that believed that by by owning a property you know that that was like the the, the pinnacle our, our goal in life is to the be a homeowner life. no you, you don't you don't need to be a homeowner and then you know to then add on to that to say well you know i want to change us to to generation buy okay well so you're telling me boris that i should be buying a property so if i can't or i don't i've failed no not at all and, and that's you know that's a real that, that, that's 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 going to cause a lot of people a lot of mental health problems and that's not fair so um i would like to see sorry to cut you short i would like to see where they encourage more investors so rather than buying your own residential because you and i both know sam that a lot of successful property investors in this industry when you speak to them half of them don't even own their property and if they do they have used the money from their assets their investment properties to somehow 
fund that, whether through equity, cash flow, I don't know. But so I really would love the government to start encouraging us more to say, you know what, buy these assets because these assets could eventually mm -hmm. you know, fund your lifestyle. So if you want to keep things simple, there's most people will fit into one of these three categories in terms of how they live and where they live. They're either homeowners, they're renters, or they live in social housing slash council council homes. Um, and, and and whichever yeah. one of those categories you 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 reside in, that doesn't make you a bad person in any way, shape, or form. Um, now I think it's something along the lines of sixty percent home ownership, and then the others split sort of fifty fifty, so twenty percent twenty percent of each. Now what's happening is we've got a situation where the government are saying to people that they should be buying, they should be buying their own home. So all that, what that does is it then vilifies uh, um, uh, landlords um, and it makes it easy or it makes it politically, um, you know, a good idea to hit landlords because the general public think that landlords are the enemy and they're greedy and they're awful. And I'm sure there are some, some out there that are, I don't work with any. All of my clients who are landlords are amazing. They give discounts. They, you know, give, um, they, you know, help with bills. They don't raise the rent, um, even though it, it, it costs them more. They do all these things to help you, to help, to help the tenant, you know, in, in times of, of, of need, because guess what? They're decent, normal human beings. The greedy fat cat landlords are a thing of the past. There are some hanging about that are giving everyone a bad name, but on the whole, I think landlords are pretty good, or at least the ones I work with are. So by telling everyone that they should be buying their own home, it's, it makes it very easy for them to, to then hit landlords. All that then ha happens is we've seen a huge number of landlords um, vacate the market. In fact, I think there was a survey done recently, um, and 50% of those landlords polled said that if the Bank of England base rate hit 4.75%, uh, um, they would sell their portfolios. So we're only a quarter of a percent away from that for potentially 50% of the people that were polled that are landlords selling their properties. So we're already now in a position where there are fewer properties available to rent. Um, it's costing those that do own those properties more. So they're putting their rents up, but then the competition for that, those properties is higher because there's less of them and there's fewer people that can afford to buy their own homes. So all it's doing is it's creating a rental crisis and then so many of those people are then like, OK, well, we can't afford to rent a flat now. So we're, I'm going to have to go and rent a room somewhere. Well, it's harder to, for an investor to build an HMO because of Article 4 that's then come in. So then people that then can't afford to do that because there's not enough of those and those rooms are costing more. And then having to go into social housing, of which then we are vastly, vastly undernourished. And we've got and we've got literally I could count probably on one hand the amount of mortgage lenders who are happy to lend to landlords that, that rent their properties to, to social housing providers. So that's undernourished. So the whole thing is a catastrophe of crap. It's just we're just shoveling on rubbish from one end to the to the up to the other. And it all stems from the government basically trying to push people to buy their own homes when it's not feasible for most people to do so and then hitting landlords who are there to pick up, who are there to meant to be to pick up the pieces and help those that can't afford to buy their own properties or don't want to own their own properties, of which there are several. So it's, yeah, look, I, yeah. I'll get off my soapbox now, but do you, do you see where I'm coming from? It's, it, there's, there's so many issues there that, that just need to be dealt with and, and actually they can be dealt with. They can be dealt with in, uh, in, in a few different... Oh. Well, first and foremost, oh. um, I think having... 100% loan to value mortgages sends the wrong message that you you should be able to buy a property without having to put down a deposit. Well, no, you should have to put down a deposit because owning a property is is a luxury, not a right. So you should have to work for it. You should have to do something in order to, to, to achieve that. So that's the first thing. The second thing is then creating an environment where it's okay to rent and to, and to give landlords the opportunity to to do better you know to, to to not have to charge extortionate rent you know don't forget as well the more the higher the the higher the 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 worse the cost of living crisis gets the worse the uh, the mortgage rates get um and these uh, like i said some of these my clients not upping 
the rent to go in line with the increase of their own personal costs, the change of taxation regulation that came in a few years back. All of these things are making life harder for landlords to run their property businesses, which fuels the rental market. And then what happens is they don't have then maybe the money to be able to keep the properties up to a certain standard. And suddenly we see people complaining that the, you know, there's damp that needs sorting or there's cracks that need sorting or, you know, whatever, whatever the damage may very well be. They need a new boiler. Oh, well, they can only afford to get a secondhand boiler, which isn't as good. And then that doesn't work as well in the winter. And do you know, so it's, it just as a it spirals, it just spirals. What the government needs to do is it needs to come out and say, do you know what, everyone, landlords are not bad. Um, we're going to support our landlords in this country because they need it. They've been battered. You know, they're, they're like Rocky Balboa lying on the floor in the fifth round. They've been absolutely battered. And many of them are going to get back up because they're strong, amazing individuals. Um, but a lot of them aren't. And that that's the problem. They're the ones that need the support. Um, it's not even support. It's not even support. It's just stop hitting them. Just stop hitting them. Stop kicking them when they're on the floor. Let them do what they are good at doing, which is providing fantastic, amazing homes for people to live in. And if the government could openly support that, it will probably lose them the next election, but they will be doing the right thing. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. And I think, I think nowadays, like you said, there are more healthier landlords. You did mention something which I thought is key because you said earlier and we are going to go to questions shortly so please put your questions in the box and I'll, I'll flick through them but you mentioned earlier that so many landlords are now exiting the market right because of new changes etc etc they're just fed up but I also feel that this is the opportunity for the new land fresh people even those that have a portfolio of three four five whatever to buy more because what I found is they're actually negotiating better prices as well because they just want rid you know, they've been in the game for a while and they're like, oh, I've made my money. It's time to hand over to the blood of landlords, right? So I think that will help breed new ones that will do things the proper way. And hopefully, because um, I do get rubbish messages as well that, oh, you, you're one of those scum land. I just think, why do people have this? I don't know if you ever say, I, I, I post occasionally on TikTok as well. It's definitely a, a different different type of person uh, on, the, on TikTok. And I posted something about these 100% mortgages recently and somebody put underneath, well, what's the alternative? I can't afford to save up a deposit. All I'm having to do is line the pockets of a greedy landlord. And I just responded, well, why don't you just go and line the pockets of a non-greedy landlord instead? It is. It's, just, it's, a, it's a mindset thing. It really is a mentality thing. But for those that have just joined, with, we were talking about the 100% basically get a house for free. I mean, there's still like, fees right? stuff to pay and the, the interest rate on it, I think is four point, oh, sorry, 5.79, which is a bit above the average of around sort of 4.95% um, at the moment. But don't get me wrong, right? I'm not, a, I'm not against the 100% mortgage in terms of, like, I, I won't lie. I've thought to myself, could I utilise that? Like, I, cause I, I rent the moment um for a number of different reasons um number of, number one i really like where i live and i don't really want to move out of my flat um number two i moved up here um to the west midlands about three years ago with an ex um and we we moved into rented accommodation because i wasn't sure if i wanted to live here permanently i'd never lived outside of london before so there were various reasons because of that but i've looked at it and gone i could utilize that but i know what i'm I know how money works. I know I can look at that and create a plan that will mean that I'm, I don't get myself into financial difficulty. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of actually like putting this plan onto a video and putting it on YouTube or something. It's like, if you're going to take out a 100% loan to value mortgage, this is what you should be doing kind of thing. Um, but unfortunately, and I, and I mean this in the nicest possible way, and this is not necessarily because people are purposely bad with it, but most people in the UK are not very good with money. They are financially illiterate mm -hmm. as a country. We're not taught things in school. So yeah. we can't trust that the British public will know what to do with a 100% loan-to-value mortgage. All they will see is the short term, I can buy a house. They won't yes. look at the long term. I can will I be able to keep that oh. house if mortgage rates go up, if the market dips? What happens in five years' time if the, if the value of my property is worth less than what I paid for it, and I have not paid enough to pay it down to 95% or whatever it might be. That means I either get 
uh, repossess, I have to sit on a, on a standard a variable rate, which is much higher, and I can't afford the mortgage payments, or I have to pay down a lump sum to get it down to the lower loan to value bracket in order for me to actually get the, you know, the, the, the mortgage. And who knows what's going to happen? Maybe the cost of living crisis won't have been solved in five years time. Maybe I won't be earning as much as I, I was back then, because I've been laid off by my by my job because the market's been rubbish or do you know what i mean so people aren't taking these things into account people aren't stress testing and i've always said you know never ever ever get yourself in a situation where if you especially in a mortgage where you where you you, you push yourself to your financial limits never go beyond it we we have a we, although it's not exactly the same at grand union finance within our team we have something we call the 60 percent rule which is when any of us feel like we're above 60% of our capacity, we, we tell each other and we come up with a solution to get our capacity back down below 60% because we're not overstretching ourselves, we're not stressed out, we can give a better service to our clients, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think that goes across the board. Not 60% maybe not is, is, is too low for a lot of things, but certainly, you know, make sure that you have a buffer in your in your income to cut over after all your expenditure to cover for eventualities build yourself a you know a war chest uh, you know um some some cash that could be there for a rainy day to can cover yourself if you're in trouble you know all these sorts of things but people won't do that they'll go and get 100 percent mortgage and they'll have no savings yeah it's ridiculous it's ridiculous and also as well what i think we need to remember is it that is it, it will still end up being a liability right so you of i've got my own home now but you're not making money from it. And I tell people when they say, oh, shall I buy a residential home to live in, my first home to live in, or shall I buy an investment? And I'm always like, buy an investment property first. And I tell people just because we bought ours, but it's not something we're like, oh, look at us, we live in. No, actually, looking back, we probably would be renting. But you know, we followed the dream, buy your home, get the pat on the back, congratulations, you're winning in life. But listen, it's all about making money to live the lifestyle you want. But yes, let me go to questions now. Thank you, Sam. So M684 asks, what does it matter to a lender if you rent to a private tenant or to social yeah. housing? I, no, I, some, I, I, I know she, exactly what she means. She's, yeah. So she, a, she's saying from, from, a, from a buy to let lender's perspective, what, why would they care whether or not you are lending, what you are renting your property to a, a, an individual or a social housing provider, essentially? And I get this question all the time. Now, the reason why the lenders don't like it is exactly the reason they should be doing it. Okay, and I say this to lenders all the time. So it's called it's something called reputational risk. So what it is yeah. is that if you're renting your property to a social housing provider, there's a really good chance that that provider is going to be housing people that will be deemed to be vulnerable. Now, if and so lenders are always looking at downside risk. They're always looking at the worst case scenario. If you're going to, um, if, if that lender has to repossess that property, they believe they are then throwing vulnerable people onto the street. Now, the truth of the matter is, they're not doing that, are they? Because the social housing provider is going to rehouse them somewhere else, right? So what they actually exactly. are doing is, I say it's not reputational risk, it's reputational reward, because what you can actually do then is you can say, we're supporting vulnerable people. So I say this to lenders every day of the week. I really, really champion social housing as a strategy for two reasons. Number one, I think it's probably the closest thing you can get to passive income in the world of property. So from, from a, purely from an yeah. investment point of view, it's a really good one. But secondly, how amazing is it that you're contributing to this sector of the market to people that really genuinely do, do need that, that step up? You know, I said earlier there was there's sort of three three sectors isn't there there's social housing there's private rental and then there's home ownership um i would imagine that most people that are living in council or social housing um don't really would prefer not to be there they prefer to rent their own home or buy their own home but they are they are there and they need our support they do need our support um and these providers are there to do so you know you go on the government social housing provider register there are hundreds of providers in the uk and it's just it's just terrible that there are just so few lenders that are willing to, you know, to stick their neck out and support these these providers and these people. But there we go. I could be here all day about that. 
You get guaranteed rent as well, don't you? Okay. Um, all right, Stella asks, would you advise to get a 100% no. mortgage as an investment? No. Wait, no. Mm. Well, you, did, we, did you do that? You can't. So I think what, what they is say product is, are, is, your, is your home effectively, you're buying a property, so it's an investment. It's not. Your, your home is your biggest liability. You know, you just, or you do, if you want to know a bit more about that, just read Rich Dad Poor Dad. <laughs> the, one of the greatest books ever written. Um, it's, your, your, your home is always going to be your greatest liability. Um, so it's, it's, it's not an investment. Yes, the value of it will go up, but as, uh, you know, until, until you pay off your mortgage in its entirety, the lender owns that, the bank owns that property because they can take it off you when they want. Um, if you don't pay them, they will take it off you and they can legally do so, which for me means it's theirs. I would be, you know, you, you mentioned there, people will, it's, it's more affordable in terms of the money you need to put in to buy a property outside of London. I live in the West Midlands. There are some cracking locations near me where you don't have to put down huge deposits in order to actually um, buy incredible investment properties that have really good yields. You know, you look at places like Redditch that aren't that far away from me and you can get yields of 10, 11%. It's insane. Um, well, you used to before mortgage rates went up anyway. Um, <laughs> then, you know, and then you go f further afield up north. You know, I've got, I've got clients that literally invest everywhere. You go to certain parts of Yorkshire, you know, there, there is amazing places to invest. And yeah, you might live in the Southeast and you go, okay, I want to, I'll buy a property. It's probably going to go up a bit more. I would say you can't predict house price growth. You know, you can say, yeah, every seven to 10 years, house prices on average double in the UK. But actually the UK is not a market. It's a collection of micro markets. So to say that that happens in London or happens mm. in Wales or happens in Colchester or wh wherever part of the country it is, it, it changes from, from, from area to area. So you can't necessarily always predict growth, but you can predict cash flow because when you do your figures, you can say, I am going to earn this money net on a monthly basis. So in terms of investing, if you, if you want to invest in a property, invest in a property that someone else is paying the mortgage for, not you. That's what I would say. Yeah, 100%. Love that. Okay. And um, is the interest rate higher if renting to social housing? It's not, um, What's the so comparison it's, it's, like? it's, it's difficult. So um, it's not a direct correlation. Um, the lenders that are available, there are some that are pretty competitive compared to the standard sort of um, limited company buy to let. Um, generally speaking with social housing, um, the product that we are applying for is actually an HMO mortgage because although the property potentially doesn't need planning permission or doesn't need, um, you know, permitted development to convert to C4 or whatever it might be, um, it is, um, it's still occupied by multiple individuals. Therefore, a lender will, will more than likely see it as a house of multiple occupancy in terms of how it is actually filled. So we're applying for an HMO mortgage. So the rate is likely to be higher than a buy-to-let. However, there are no social housing products. I believe that that might be a way to solve our problem is we have social housing products, we get funding lines that are happy to, to, to actually fund these products. Um, but at the moment, it's a criteria point. Are lenders comfortable with the leases? Yeah. Are they comfortable with the length of the lease? Are they comfortable with how long the break clause is are they comfortable with who's going to be residing in the property in reality to access the best lenders in the market that will lend to those re uh, renting their property to social housing providers you need a um a lease that is five years or less you need a break clause that is in favor of the landlord because at the moment um a lot of them by standard it favor the tenant i.e the, the provider to, to break the contract rather than the landlord um, and we also need there to not be any kind of mention in there of particular types of vulnerable clients or vulnerable tenants or um, carers and those kind of things so if it fit if the lease fits within the, that sort of area we've got a much much greater chance um, to, uh, to to get probably the you know the, the, the best the best lending that there is available I would say at the moment cheapest mortgage off the top of my head probably 5.4 something like that i'd imagine something around that kind of level which is not terrible God. i remember the days of 
1.6 even then we'll be like my husband would be like 1.6 can't they go lower do, do you know how it, life as a broker used to be a lot easier <laughs> but do you know what honestly there's still opportunities and we can't complain uh, someone said no no yeah, go i was on. gonna say i, I agree um, Sam. Oh, okay. Uh, someone said interest only or repayment or investment. And the same person said, what's the best strategy? I don't know if it's one question or two, but the same person said, what's the best strategy in this climate? And then interest only or cool. repayment. So I think what they're saying is in this climate, you... should we be going for interest only or, sh or should we go for repayment? Now, I believe, and this is not a one size fits all approach, but um, I think there's two sections of your portfolio building lifespan and that is your growth and your consolidation when you're growing your property portfolio you want to maximize your cash flow what we were talking about earlier on therefore an interest only mortgage makes a lot more sense because you get higher cash yeah. flow so as you're building your portfolio with every property that you're adding into the portfolio the cash flow that the company is making goes up which means the time it takes you from day dot you, know, you just bought a property and then how long is it going to take you to save just on cash flow for your next deposit gets smaller so it allows you to grow your portfolio exponentially essentially once you've reached a certain point you then want to consolidate so once you've hit your monthly income target your portfolio value target whatever targets your or goals you may have for your portfolio once you get close or you hit them you can then start to consolidate. And I've seen a few of my clients over the last few years have got to this kind of point where they're going, portfolio is big enough. Actually, when we refinance, we're not refinancing everything back up to 75%. In fact, what we're gonna do is um, every property, right, that property, number one London Road, right, over the course of two years, the two year fixed rate, the cash flow on that is 3,000 pounds. Okay, great. That's going in a separate pot every single month. And when we get to the end of that two years, we're going to refinance and we're going to pay off that three grand off the mortgage. And what they're doing, if you're in a limited company, generally what they're looking to do, because obviously interest is a company expense still. Loan interest is a company expense, a corporate expense. So having a mortgage is not as bad as if you do it in your personal name. A lot of them are trying to get below 60% because that's where the lowest rates are available. And then they just refinance every two to five years, depending on the end of the, of, of the product. And they're just doing what we call pound for pound remortgages. So they're letting the market pay down the percentage of their their mortgage essentially because of the growth of the of the of the portfolio. Um, if you own a property in your own personal name, you're not getting that benefit that you would in a company to, from a taxation perspective. You're having you you can't deduct the cost of your interest from your from your tax bill. So it makes a lot more sense once you've built your portfolio to um you know to pay those off in their entirety as, as soon as you can and i would probably say actually if you have properties in your own personal name i would try and pay those off um whilst also trying to build a portfolio within your company obviously get tax advice i'm not a tax advisor but that's probably the best thing to do to be honest i love that do you know as you were speaking i had a question myself and you i don't know if you answered it within that but those that are that have a, pro a property and they are paying interest only, when and should they, how soon should they start thinking of paying off the full mortgage? Because, you know, just like buying your own property, a residential property was like the dream. A lot of people, when they get onto investment, uh, they buy an investment property, they're already thinking, how am I going to pay off the balance of this loan? What's your thought on that? Because my experience is, forget about that right just enjoy the, the money at the moment and build the assets and then eventually maybe you take some money from this property or you sell this and somehow something's going to work out but so many people get bogged down by how can am i going to pay off the loan well, for this so what is your you advice? actually and, and if you use a, a mortgage advisor sometimes you won't actually know that this is the case but when you're actually going through the application if you're doing an, if it's an interest only mortgage they will ask you what is your repayment strategy and us brokers, guess what we do? We just put in sale of the property, right? So you do have that opportunity at the end of the 25, 30 year term, whatever it might be, to pay off the, the, the mortgage that way, because you could just pay it off by selling the property and then you just take, you know, you, you, you take the equity out. Um, the reality of it is, is you'll just probably keep remortgaging it and probably have 
the savvy amongst us will have a really, really good um, tax expert sitting behind us that will give a load of great advice as to how we can be efficient for, you know, inheritance tax purposes, all this kind of stuff in later life, you know, putting all our assets into a trust or whatever it might be. Again, I'm not an advisor, so I don't know the ins and outs of it all. But ultimately, you probably never have to. You probably never actually have to pay off that loan. It can be passed down from you know from from generation to generation or at, at the very least refinance we had a situation recently where um, a client was introduced to us where it was it was three siblings two sisters and a brother that had inherited a, a, a reasonable sized portfolio from their dad who had died their mum had died a few years previous their dad had died they inherited it but the um they, they, they there was a good level of planning um so actually the, the current lender was happy to keep going for, for a period of time until the end of their fixed rate. Um, and then what they did was it was sort of held in, in trust essentially. And then when it came to refinance, we just refinanced it onto to another lender in their name. And, and, and so they just took on the debt, but they're still getting the cash flow. Um, it's, um, do you know, I mentioned yeah. um, earlier on, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and if anyone's sad enough to love that book as much as I do, to actually get to the point where you buy the, um, the board game that runs alongside it called the cash flow game um if you ever want to understand how to make money just play this game because all you do to win the purpose a bit like monopoly but the purpose of it is you keep getting opportunities to buy assets whether it's businesses whether it's property whether it's shares whatever it might be and what the way to win the game is not to wait until you have enough cash to buy those assets. It's to buy them and borrow money. You can borrow money at any point by those assets. Yeah. And if you keep doing it, basically all it is is you, you're, 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 what you're trying to do is you're just trying to continue. You've got a cash flow target to achieve. And what a lot of people will do, they'll, they'll, they'll play that game and go, ah, oh, that if I want to buy that business that's just become available to me on this board game because I've rolled a dice and I've gone onto that space, it costs a thousand dollars okay well i haven't got a thousand dollars um but it makes but owning that makes a cash flow of 300 pounds a month okay well i can do with that adding that cash flow what's my thing okay well why don't i take out a loan that costs 150 pounds to help me buy that asset but then i still get net 150 pounds to go onto my cash flow tar like target and then you just keep going around the board and doing that and that is property investing what I want. This, this is how investors think though. This is how we think. So sometimes when I'm speaking to people, I'm like, don't you get it? It's a no brainer, borrow money. To... But they get into this analysis paralysis. Oh, but, but I love what called, you said. What is the name of that game? Someone just typed the cash flow game. Yeah, yeah, I'm Can sure. Can we get it on an app? Do you, know you, could, you get it on an app on, your, on like a tablet. And I used to, so I used to have it like, I went traveling about, uh eight years ago um and i had it on my tablet um and i'd be on my flight so i'd just play it um because i was going like flying every couple of months and um and then it's it's gone now and i paid like three pounds for it or something <laughs> but the return on investment has been great that on that three pounds my return on investment has been amazing because a i played it a lot and b i learned a lot from it so but yeah, but Stella's gone. I love Monopoly. I I, my, I used to beat my ex-wife at Monopoly all the time, and she used to get really annoyed because she didn't understand the concept of you don't wait until you get to Park Lane and Mayfair. You buy everything. You buy every single thing you can afford. That's how you win Monopoly. It's really simple. That's it. And you figure out the rest later. The cash app. I did it's called, post it. Um, it's called the, the, cash, the app, cash flow yeah? game. Oh, the cash Cash flow game. I tried to post it. Brilliant. Any other questions? We've, Sam, I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy and all of that, but I just wanted to find out if, if there's any other question from anyone before we round out. But in the meantime, Sam, for those that are like, listen, I need a broker like you, Sam. I need you to help me. I need some advice, whatever. Could you just let people know how they can contact you, maybe any yeah. services or whatever, but yeah, just so that they can so carry on their... do, Send me a direct message and let me know how we can help. Because it's not just me, we've got a team at Grand Union Finance. Um, so I tend to only really work on the most complex stuff now. Um, so, but I oversee absolutely everything. So if you let 
send me a direct message, follow me on Instagram, send me a direct message, um, tell me what you need help with, and I can direct you to the right person. Um, it might very well be that with that other broker, I jump on a Zoom call, so I'm there as well. Um, I'll always be on hand to answer any questions from any client of Grand Union Finance, so we can do that. So the best way of setting up a call, if you need some help right now, is, is that way. Um, if you'd like to just have a chat with me about your strategy, um, I do have a one-to-one um, -one property strategy call that um, we do on Zoom, that also has some, some added extras in terms of different little videos that I send out on email to help you when you're starting out for the first time. So again, if you DM me, I can send you a link to, to book in one of those. Um, but apart from that, if you want to just learn more, I've got a YouTube channel with 201 videos on it. Uh, I've got a podcast, the Game of Loans podcast, which has 117 episodes on there. Um, so plenty of other information out there free of charge for you to get your teeth into. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And yep, Stella said this was very informative. Real Life Property said Chanel helps with my remortgage. Great team. You see, there you go. You've got testimonies already. Um, and like Sam said, there's so much free content. He's so generous with content. He's generous with his time. I'm not, I'm not giving him an envelope behind the scenes. So thank you for coming on live. This is him just voluntarily giving us free information that he's obviously acquired over the years. So Sam, I'm so grateful for coming on live because there's some people that'll be like, no, I'm too busy. I'm too. But you were so humble enough to be like, yeah, come, let's go. And you were just so easy uh, to yeah, work with and collaborate with. So thank you so much. Um, like I said everyone just uh, feel free make contact with sam and let's see how we can get you guys building your property portfolio if you're not doing so already all right then thank you so no much at all. see you later thank have you a good day that. everyone Yep, that's it. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end of the episode, guys. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of the other Game of Loans podcast episodes, please, I would ask you a massive favour to leave a five-star review. It massively helps me grow the podcast and reach more people that will hopefully enjoy the episodes as much as you have. Thank you so much in advance for this, and I'll hopefully see you on the next episode.